What's going on? What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Successes Within Reach podcast. This is season three, episode 10, Mental Health in Today's Youth. Super, super important show we got here today. Mental Health in Today's Youth. Um, I have two outstanding guests gracing the stage with me here today. We have Ms. Danny Parks. She's a mental health advocate, a youth empowerment coach, has an awesome program for the young ladies out there. And we have Ms. Christina Leslie joining us again, a qualified mental health professional. Every time she comes, she gives us great tips, you know, that we can use in improving our mental health and mental stability. Um, so today, you know, we're going to focus on the upcoming generation and see if we can find ways as adults to help out our youth because a lot of them are struggling and going through things out here yeah. and feel like they have no one to talk to and they result to some of the most you know, unimaginable things. Um, so before we get started, uh, for those that are new to the podcast, I'm going to give you all um, a chance to introduce yourselves and let them know a little bit about yourself, uh, whoever wants to start first. Okay, I'll start first. Um, I'm Christina Leslie. I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, I'm also certified in telemental health, um, and I also have a private practice here in New Orleans by service um, the whole Louisiana state. Um, not only do I have a private practice, I'm also an elementary school counselor for pre-K through eighth grade here in New Orleans. And so I juggle those two jobs as well as my 11-year-old son. So I'm glad I'm here <laughs> on your podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. And Danny? All right. My name is Danny Parks. I'm a mental health advocate. Um, I go around talking about suicide awareness and prevention, depression, um, stemming from my own experience with both as well as bipolar disorder. Um, I'm also a brand coach. So I coach people with their brands and businesses. And that's about it. Um, manage all that plus a 13 year old. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So much because we deal with it now. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I heard that. Right, before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can always join in the conversation live and submit your questions and comments at www.facebook.com slash SIWR podcast. One more time, www.facebook.com slash SIWR podcast. All right. So let's jump into it. Uh, what are some of the most common mental and emotional health issues? Um, that you see our youth facing in, in today's world? Um, from, from where I stand, I see a lot of kids dealing with anxiety um, that stems from peer pressure. Um, it stems from schooling. Um, we have a lot of kids here who have such a strong anxiety, anxiety symptoms just through testing. So mm -hmm. um, anxiety with testing, anxiety with their peers, 
Um, and then also a little, you know, bullying, um, anxiety coming back to school after we've been in lockdown. So that's mostly what I'm seeing. And then everything else stems from that, like depression and everything. Yeah, on my standpoint, I, I see it closely on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and it, it stems from, you know, believe it or not, from kindergarten on up to our eighth graders that I do service. So, you know, it's a lot of depression, grief, um, especially with uh, COVID that, you know, continues to happen and senseless crimes that happen in our city and here in New Orleans. Um, peer pressure, social media is a big, big issue that I'm experiencing a lot with our youth uh, currently. And, excuse me. And then also like the anxieties, like Dana said, with test taken here, we have um, a state test called LEAP. So we're getting them prepared for that. But I know a lot of kids suffer from anxiety due to testing and just um, going into the transition in high school. And then also just dealing with growing up because a lot of these kids are raising themselves and so just putting a lot of pressure on themselves to keep it together for them not being able to be kids themselves and taking care of home and being at school right mm. man like it's it's just to hear you say kindergarten you know it's, it's just heartbreaking to know that there are kids that young mm -hmm. that are are in need of, of some type of help you know and unfortunately, I feel like a lot of kids, especially the younger they are, people just pass them off as bad kids, mm -hmm. like not realizing there's a, a mental or an emotional health need there. It's not that they're just acting out for no reason. They're crying out for help, but they don't mm -hmm. know how to you know, truly ask for it. Um, so I'll pivot to ask this. What are some sure signs that we as adults, um, whether it's at school, at home, out, you know, on the playground, um, those of us that coach, uh, what are some signs that we can look for in our young people to see that they may be struggling with their mental or emotional stability? I mean, I think an easy way um, that you can try to see what's going on is to look at their activities of daily living. So if you see things a little bit off, whether it's off in a good way, and sometimes it can be a bad, I mean, a, a good way, and it could be a bad way. And I'm saying a good way, they might pull off a facade of saying, you know, I'm good, I'm great, I'm overly joyous, and I'm happy. But deep down inside, there are some things that's going on. And so not only look at one extreme, but look at the other one as well. Um, you can look at how they're doing in school, how they're doing with relationships at home with their parents, their siblings. Are they more aggressive? Are they more isolated? Look at those things. Are they? Do they tend to isolate and kind of you know be by themselves a lot of the times are they not into their extracurricular activities like they used to be so if they did karate or cheerleading or you know the the debate team are they not going to practice are they not as enthused as they used to be so look for those signs as well as their sleep a lot of kids these days probably work off of two hours of sleep i don't know how they do it but they do it but in the long run, it does affect them. So look at, are they sleeping too much? Are they not sleeping at all? And then also how they eat as well. Are they not eating? Are they eating too much? You know, and look for different things of that nature. It doesn't necessarily have to be things of, they might verbally tell you what's going on, but look at those small signs that might lead to seeing if there's actually things that's going on with them. Mm -hmm. That's good. Everything that you said, like, I look for those things within my daughter, too, um, especially about the sleep 
and the nutrition. Whenever she has a bad day at school, the first thing I'm like, what time did you go to bed? Did you eat breakfast this morning? Because she likes to eat breakfast at school. So my food at home isn't good enough for her. But when I ask her, <laughs> when I ask her, you know, when she's had a bad day, she tells me she didn't eat um, breakfast and she didn't get enough sleep. And that really impacts her behavior immediately, especially in the mornings. Um, and then also um, just about the interest. That's what I noticed a lot, too. Kids who are always active and all of a sudden they're starting to seclude themselves. They don't want to hang out with their friends. Um, nowadays, with with the way our kids are, and even when we were growing up, one day you're friends, one day you're not. Um, but if that lasts too long, if it lasts over a week, then I ask them, okay, what's going on? She comes home, oh, we're not friends. And then they're friends the next day. It's like, okay. But when it starts to last a little bit longer than a week, then I start to get concerned about what's really going on. Mm. So like you, you both mentioned, you know, looking at their activity and their willingness to participate in things. Uh, but we also know sometimes kids are just kind of finicky trying to find themselves and figure out what's cool. Like you said, what's cool this week and what's not mm -hmm. the next week. So how would say a parent or a caretaker, you know, be able to figure out, OK, this kid is, you know, crying for help and going through a crisis versus they're just trying to find themselves and want to get rid of everything they did last week because the cool kids said, let's do this this week. I think opening up that line of communication to, you know, your your kids to say, you know, if things are going on, let me know if you're just saying I'm not with it this week or, you know, I don't want to do football this week. Nothing's wrong. Also believe them in those manners as well. But make sure that there's a trusted adult. It might, you know, Truth be told, it might not be you as a parent that they feel comfortable in talking to. So see who is that person that they can go to a trusted adult, whether it be their teacher, um, the extracurricular um, person um, that they go to or, you know, the aunt, uncle. But if they have that person that they can go to to talk to and maybe not tell you the full extent of what's going on, but knowing that, you know, your son or your daughter, they're good. They're just going through something to kind of keep your mind at ease. But I think at the most, just open up those lines of communication and be non-judgmental as well when they do have that uh, conversation with you. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I was definitely going to mention the the mentor or some a trusted adult. Uh, most kids, unless the parent has um, raised them in an environment where transfer transparency is um, respected, um, most of the time kids will say, oh, I'm okay, but then they'll go talk to somebody else in debt. So always have like somebody around you that your child can talk to or open to, open up to, or if they mention an adult, get to know that adult, see what they're, what they're about, how, what are they telling you, what are they telling your child? And that could be a trusted adult that you trust as well as your child trusts. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, I know something that you both just mentioned is, a, I guess, a hot topic for a lot of parents because they say, man, I, I try to get through to my child. I've been trying this. I've been trying that. And, like, they just have absolutely nothing to say to me. So how does, you know, an adult go about creating that trust and that transparency um, and an open line of communication? You know, I think a lot of times it's easier said than done. Uh, some kids are easier to, to get through to than others. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for the parent that sees that their child is clearly struggling and going through something, 
but they've, you know, they tried going out for pizza. They've tried going to a concert. They've tried going to the movies. Like, how do they be, really hone in and build that that trust and transparency line? I'd say um, one thing that I realized last year just hit me was that you as a parent, you can't be the counselor and the mom at the same time because your, ch your child needs both. So you either want to be the counselor or you want to be the mom. I choose to be the mom and have my child go to somebody. I have a lot of therapist friends. So, you know, trusting one of them, um, ensuring my daughter, like, look, whatever you talk to her about, she won't come back and tell me unless it's, you know, something that's going to harm you immediately or whatever. But, you know, some, and it was a struggle for me at first when I was like, okay, well, you know, let me sit down and talk to my daughter. Let me walk her through these little life coaching steps. And it doesn't work because mm -hmm. your daughter or not your child needs to be the father to be the father, your mom to be the mom. And you can take your child to somebody like Christina who can be the counselor for them. So, yeah. And I'm, you know, I agree with that. And I also think that you should meet your your child where they are so they might not want to go get that pizza or you know go to the movies but find some things that they like or you know hone in on their interests and kind of see if you can get into that and then open up those lines of communication with your kids but then you know ask them do you mind talking to a therapist or a counselor this is you know a person that can help you is non-judgmental they don't necessarily don't necessarily have to tell you tell me exactly what's going on but just a summary so i can help you while you're at home but making sure that you don't feel alone in whatever you think that you might be going through mm. you know so when it when it comes to therapy uh that's always a hot topic i mean hell it's a hot topic for a lot of adults <laughs> so i i can only imagine what it's like trying to explain to say a teenager who is rebelling against everything, but also knows that they need to talk to somebody. Like, how do you even open that conversation up to say, you know, hey, I think you need to sit down and speak with someone, or maybe someone else can help you get your emotions out without having them feel attacked, or, you know, like, are you trying to say something's wrong with me? Like, how do you make it a positive experience in introducing them to therapy? For me, um, I just talk to them about my experience. I don't really go on and say, oh, you need to talk to somebody. You know, I always tell them my experience first. I, I start with my struggles that I had when I was their age and then how I start to journal and then how I start to verbalize and then got comfortable with a therapist. And, you know, I just always talk on, you know, talking to somebody is the best therapy. So that's how I start, you know, and if they're interested, um, you know, let their parents know. Let's let's go talk to your parents and let them know if you don't feel comfortable talking, I can talk to them and give them resources that they can reach out to from, you know, therapists that I trust and know they're really good with teens. Mm -hmm. And what I do when I'm in a situation where I'm basically introducing like mental health illnesses with uh, my students and with their parents, you know, I kind of justify or acknowledge the fact that 
this is a, a breaking point at this point in time. We see that there, there is a problem and there's resources out there to help not only your child, but to help you as well to support your child. And so, you know, talk about the benefits of, of counseling, you know, getting them to, to see what kind of counselor that they want. They might want someone younger, older, you know, someone black or, you know, their race doesn't matter, but give them that opportunity and let them know you might go into this therapy session today might not fill it out, maybe give it another session. And if not, there's other people out there that you can talk to and knowing that that's just not the last, the first and last person that you have to speak with. But, you know, knowing that you're breaking this cycle of keeping everything in or feeling like you're by yourself, maybe put them in a group as well. That's another suggestion. It might not be one-on-one -on -one counseling, but maybe a team group or, you know, a kid group where other kids are having the same issues that's going on. So you can feel like I'm not the only one in these, you know, kids are going through something, they're able to get through it. So I'll know that I'll be able to get through it as well. And just to piggyback off what Christina said, um, one thing that I think the parents, we really have to tell, talk to the parents about, therapy and let them know that it's, it should be a preventative type medicine um, uh, treatment versus reactive or proactive. Um, if you can get your child just so they're healthy, like their, yeah. their mental state is healthy. And then when they run into those problems or issues, they are, they're already comfortable talking about it. Um, we have a mental health ministry for teens at my church. And I noticed, like Christina said, when you get the group together, they're more apt to talk about their feelings. That's how, like, the anxiety for testing, I mean, that just blew all of us away because one kid said it and another kid was like, yeah, mom. And we're like, okay, well, let's talk about ways that you can calm yourself during tests or before the test. So all of that, all of that is great. I love it. I love it. Oh, man. Parents, teachers, coaches, mentors, hold on to your notebooks. <laughs> hold on to your notebooks. All right. We've come to our first uh, break. We'll be right back in one second. Once again, this is the Successes with Reach podcast, season three, episode 10, Mental Health and Today's Youth. And we'll be right back. I'm All right, welcome back, welcome back. Once again, I'm your host, Shannon Smith, and I'm joined here today by Ms. Danny Parks and Ms. Christina Leslie as we talk about mental health in today's youth. All right, so I wanna ask you, um, from your perspective, uh, are you finding that kids are having more mental health and emotional health uh, crises from triggers at home or from triggers in school and amongst their friends? I think, um it's kind of it kind of opens up a pandora box so you might say that you know this particular student is getting bullied and then find out that there's some you know things that's going on at home and now you're trying to service not only the student but the family as well um there's also students who 
they say that they're getting bullied or, you know, they're causing more issues at school. And then you find out their grandmother died and that increased their, you know, behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just knowing that the whole child is in need of support and knowing what resources to put in place, whether you're at school and or at home can be the best fit to try to help support our students as best as possible. Right. And then also um, just like their, I guess their perspective about what's going on around them. Some kids think that the teacher is targeting them like, oh, the teacher was yelling at me today and she was screaming. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, at you in general, well, the class was being loud, but when she was talking, she was talking directly to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, but that wasn't yelling at you. And it could be, it's, we laugh about it, but um, it's like when you hear people like, but then <laughs> at the same time, that can create some type of mental issue or insecurity with them because now they think they're being targeted mm -hmm. and now they're being bullied. And so you have to really like break it down like, okay, that's not, they're not picking on you or you're not being, this is not really. Bullying, this is more about the teacher trying to get control of the situation. Mm -hmm. So when you have when you walk them through the situation and you have them look at the facts, then they can be like, okay, well maybe I did take this out of context. So just having them walk through the situations can really help them differentiate like, okay, I am being bullied. Some kids are being bullied and don't know. They think people just having fun with them or just oh they're just taking at me like no. No, they're bullying you. <laughs> so just mm -hmm. you know, actually realize the facts about the situation. Yeah, and I also think that we have to realize, especially as adults, kids are learning as they're growing up. Like we've learned things as we grew grew up, but you know, this is their first time dealing with certain situations or um, certain um, topics, and so they don't know what to do. And so we have to make sure that we educate the kids on, you know, this is conflict resolution. This is peer pressure. You know, this is the the outlash or the extent of you being on social media a lot and getting into a lot of arguments with people and what that stems from and what the consequences, whether good or bad, can stem from that. And so just understanding, acknowledging, you know, what the issues are and then educating them and then also being solution focused. Okay, this, you know, situation has happened. Now what? You know, we can't change mm -hmm. the past. So what can we do to ensure that either this doesn't happen again or you'll be better equipped to, you know, be prepared for it in case it does happen again? Mm. So, you know, on the topic of bullying, you know, bullying and here in 2022 is not what it was say in the 70s 80s or 90s uh, maybe not even in the early 2000s like this is bullying on steroids um we see you know some issues of it turning into kids throwing hands um you see some of it where it turns into a unfortunate news story um whether the child did something to themselves or they couldn't take the bullying anymore and took it out on everybody in school like what is what is it going to take? You know, um, I had one uh, gentleman on another show where we talked about the presence of police in schools uh, versus more mentors and advocates in schools. 
Uh, we talked about, you know, more training for teachers and administrators. Like, what is it going to take to really get a handle on the bullying of, of today's youth? I mean, I think, you know, continuous education um, and on the boots training is not necessarily looking at videos and saying, OK, this is bullying. You know, this is a, this is what happens when someone is getting bullied. It's, you know, on the boots training on if a kid is saying that they're getting bullied, bullied or a parent is saying that their child is getting bullied. What are the next steps? What are some things we can put in place to ensure that this student is being able to have a comfortable experience while they're you know getting their academics and so we have to make sure that we know that when a child feels like they're getting bullied it weighs on them mentally and so with that you're not going to get the academic outcome that you want and so that's putting you know different laws in place i just had a, a presentation with third graders because a child was getting bullied and just talking to them about you know, the difference between bullying and teasing and a mean moment, and then also talking about, okay, you're bullying somebody, but these are the consequences that can happen, whether it's, you know, we just call your parents, and if it's more extensive, you might, you know, have to go to jail or something like that. I give it to them straight up, because they have to understand that people take this seriously. We have unfortunate situations that happen because of bullying. And so we mm -hmm. have to make sure not only do our educators know the importance of that, but the stakeholders as well as the parents in our community to know the, the ramifications of when someone is getting bullied. And like I said, if your child is coming home and says someone's picking on them or they feel like they're getting bullied, you know, find the, the policy handbook for your district or for your school system and see what their policy is and hold that school accountable to make sure that they know that your child is getting bullied. What are the next steps in making sure you follow up to make sure that, that they're accountable with that? Yes, and um, parents, like you have to be involved in your, ch your children's education and their environment at school. I always encourage parents like don't wait till there's a problem to get involved at school go up there talk to the admin you know i go up there all the time <laughs> and just i mean chatting with the admin getting to know them they're getting to know me so if there is an issue they have no problems calling me and i come in versus i never go up there i never talk to the teacher and then when there's a problem you know i'm going up there showing out yelling at folks you know, versus sitting down and having a rational conversation with the teachers. And then also um, the police officers that are there. I don't know if they still call them resource officers. Mm -hmm. I just call them police officers. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. making sure that whoever you're placing in the schools, that one, they have, I wouldn't even say like have a mental health check, but have a mental health check with them. See about their compassion levels. Um, how good are they with children? Because even though they're walking around, you know, with their guns and everything like that, they're also making the children feel comfortable because they're approachable. So if there is a problem, they have no issues going to the resource officer or the principal. So I think I think that's really important when it comes to having police in the schools. Um, I know we've seen plenty of stories where police officers are tackling kids and manhandling them. And that's not the type of police officer or even person that you want in your school. So definitely 
checking their background with kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for you, Danny, being in, you know, community programs and Christina, you've been in the schools, how do you all get the parents to understand um, just how big bullying, uh, how big of a problem bullying is? And when somebody brings it to you that it's your child, you need to correct it. You know, we see too many stories of, um, you know, an unfortunate news story happened and then they say, well, come to find out this kid had been getting bullied for five or six months, or they've been picking on this kid since they were in the first grade and they just couldn't take it anymore. It's been five years now. Um, you know, and then you'll see the school say, well, we've talked to the parents. I don't know how many times we've suspended the kid. I don't know how many times nobody ever did anything about it. Like how do we start getting parents to understand you have to nip it in the bud when there's a report of your child doing the bullying because we don't want any more unfortunate news stories. Maybe they need to put in place um, some kind of consequences for the parents. I know in Mississippi, if you skip school and you got caught, <laughs> your parents would get a fine and they would mm-hmm. have to pay it or they would get in trouble with the law for something you did. So I'm not sure if something's in place for that, but I think parents will take it more seriously when their child's the bully, if those were the type of consequences, you know, because you just you don't know what's going on. When it's a mental health issue, unless you've actually been through or experienced a mental health issue, you don't know the stress that someone goes through when they're dealing with depression or they're dealing with bullying, or even if they are the bully, you don't know what's going on in their mind. So, um, just making sure that the parents know about therapy, make sure the parents are aware of the signs. And then for the parents to say, oh, oh, well, you know, he said something to my daughter and I was told her to handle like, no, ma'am, there's there's going to be consequences now. So probably put something like that. Um, and it's it's almost like a, like I said, how their environment is. Like if you're raised in an environment where violence is accepted and the norm, then of course, if your child is going and bullying people, you're going to think that's okay. Mm-hmm. So just, it, it, it starts with like the whole family needs intervention. Yeah. And I think that, you know, speaking on a school setting, you know, put policies and procedures in place for when those moments happen. So your child is that's getting bullied isn't continuously in the same class with the person that's bullying them, you know, have either, you know, give that child the autonomy of do you want to move from your homeroom class or do you want that person that's bullying you to move and, you know, give them that option to do that and also let the parents know their rights outside of the school and in the school. So if the parents say, you know, I'm tired of dealing with this, I know as a school you can only do so much, you can't force other parents to do anything or other kids, so I'm going to have to take it to the police and press charges. That's their right as well. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, understanding on both sides, whether it's your child is getting bullied, what are your rights? And then also on the consequence side of the parents whose children are bullying other people, you know, there are consequences. It is not just going to be your child. It's going to be you, too. And so, you know, understanding the dynamics of both of that, you know, needs to continue to happen. And we need to continue to have conversations on on that and the safety, too, and giving those kids the the support that they need to know that they can go to someone and say, you know, I'm getting bullied. 
and something's going to be done right then and there to help protect them. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, when I see a lot of these stories, you know, that's one of the first things that always pops up in my mind. Like, how long has this been going on for this kid to get to this point? And then what did or didn't their parent do about it when they were first told about it? You know, um, we, we've seen some videos, you know, on social media, on YouTube, but parents like, all right, enough is enough. And they run up on the school bus or they come up to the school turned up, you know, they like, we're not doing this no more. Like I've, I've reported it here. I've reported it there. Nobody's doing anything. All right. Point them out to me. Like, <laughs> like I, I want to see you right now who it is. I'm, not I'm like, it shouldn't even go that far. When I'm pulling up in the um, carpool or who is it? Point them out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, no, point them out. Show me who it is. But um, my daughter, she was in a situation uh, when she was about fourth grade. Some A little girl was bullying her. And usually when I hear somebody's being bullied, my first thought is, well, what's going on in that kid's house? You know, that's mm -hmm. making them lash out on other kids. And so... I always tell my daughter, I know this person is being mean to you, but I was like, there's something going on in their house. I was like, so whenever you see them, you know, you know, killing with kindness, you know, when you see the girl say, you know, hey, beautiful, you know, just surprise them, catch them off guard. Um, and then I always, I'm a pretty approachable person. So if I see the kids, um, just in a social situation, I'll go up to them, start talking to them, getting to know them. Even if I know for a fact you mess with my kid, <laughs> and I'll and I'll talk to them person, not personally, but I'll make sure I have a good conversation with them. Not even about what's going on between my child and and them, but just about how they're doing, you know, and getting them to open up and see what the problem is, and I can kind of figure out what's going on depending on what type of bullying they're doing. So if they're calling names and stuff. I was like, well, maybe that's what's going on in their house. So try this, try this tactic, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and that, I like, whenever I hear it, that's my first thing. Like what's going on with, what's going on in their household that's making them lash out. Yeah, like I, I remember there was about two, maybe three weeks ago, a video that went viral of a parent that met another parent at the bus stop. Mm -hmm and was like, I know for a fact the principal called you. I know the teacher called you. I know the bus driver that called you. So now it's me and you. Like, parents, you gotta understand, people are not gonna just let your child sit there and be a menace. Like, if people are reporting to you that your child is bullying, please work with the teachers, the teachers, the counselors, like they were saying, you know, find a therapist possibly. Hell, you may even need therapy yourself. Uh, for the fact that you just ignoring it, we need to figure out what's going on with you. So everybody find a therapist, <laughs> you know, but please like this, this issue is one that I feel like doesn't get talked enough. Like we owe it to our kids to let them be kids. Like they shouldn't be worrying about violence in school and, you know, um, being bullied every day and people taking their food, taking their shoes or whatever the case may be like. Let kids be kids. We have to do a better job of adults, uh, as adults, of seeing these signs and jumping on this situation as soon as we see it. 
you know, so that's that's a big part of, you know, why I asked some of the questions that I've asked already, like different signs that we can look for, because I, I feel like too many people just ignore it and just say, oh, they're just big kids. Oh, they just got an attitude or that's just a bad kid or or they just shy. They don't talk to anybody. It's like, uh, yeah, they are two. does one thing. They ain't talk to nobody in two, three weeks. Come on now. <laughs> and I think, you know, we have to also understand that kids go to school for what six seven hours monday through friday and so why would you want to have them in a situation or an environment where they're getting mentally physically tortured on a day-to-day -day basis that's not fair for them and that's not why they come to school right. and so mm -hmm. you know we have to also instill that within our parents to say if you sat in the classroom and this was happening to you how would you feel right. you know, put it back on them because, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. we forget we were kids, too. But, you know, put ourselves in their shoes and see how we will feel and how we will, would want to have that situation handled. Right. And then some parents, it's also maybe they're ignoring the, the situation because it's a financial situation. Like, um, I know my kid is like this, but I don't have the finances to put them in therapy or go to a counselor. Um, but I just want to encourage them. Christy, I'm not sure. If you have this, if you offer, but at my daughter's middle school and even at the elementary school, the kids needed like weekly sessions mm -hmm. with the counselors. They could have weekly sessions. I've talked to the counselor at my daughter's school and say, hey, um, can she come to weekly sessions with you for, you know, for this month? And mm -hmm. that would happen. And that's available the parents and that's why I say get involved in school see what's available to your children while they're at school because mm -hmm. like I said they're there for about eight hours a day you don't know what they're going through and they need that little break yeah mm -hmm. and you know some schools like my school we have um, myself a school counselor we also have a school social social worker and you know other schools have outside agencies that they bring into the schools and so like Dana said go to your schools and see what mental health resources are available, you know, for your kids, because, you know, especially now mental health is so big, especially in schools with social and emotional learning curriculums that they're um, putting in place and different grants that they have that's solely based off of mental health and social and emotional learning. See what you can do to advocate for your student and other students to make sure that there's a mental health component you know, in addition to the academic component when it comes to them being in school. Mm, I like that. I like that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to our second break. Once again, this is a Successes Within Reach podcast, season three, episode 10, Mental Health and Today's Youth. We will be right back after this break. From And this one is brought to you by Breakthrough King. <laughs> All right, welcome back, welcome back. Once again, I'm your host, Shannon Smith, and I'm joined here today by Miss Christina Leslie and Miss Danny Parks as we're talking about mental health in today's youth. Um, real quick, we got a comment said, uh, my kids having a counselor at school has really helped them out. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, most Good. definitely. 
Like we got to use the resources that are around us. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't know who to turn to. I don't know where to go. School is open every day, Monday through Friday. You know, see what your what your church has. See what your local YMCA may have. See what um, social service department may have. Um, like there are a lot of community resources that are allocating funds and programs to trying to help save our babies out there. Like you, you just got to do the work. You got to meet people halfway. Got to meet people halfway. And the Boys and Girls Club. The Boys and Girls Club is not mm. just an after school. They have so many resources there for the kids. So I encourage everyone, no matter what city you in, find that Boys and Girls Club and get your kid involved. Nice. Yeah, I completely forgot about that one. And they have those everywhere. Yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, I want to jump into something that, Danny, you actually brought to my attention in a conversation we had a while back. Um, this 988 bill, because uh, at the time I had never even heard of it. Uh, so can you explain to our audience what the 988 bill and what impact it has um, in assisting our youth in their mental health? Sure. So the 988 bill was actually signed into law, I believe, um, 2020 or 2019 um, under the Trump administration. So that's one thing that went under the radar that we don't know about. <laughs> They didn't highlight that, but um, this is an amazing bill that he signed into law. So basically, every telecom provider has to um, has to in implement this three-digit number. Nine eight eight. It doesn't replace nine one one, but it does replace you calling nine one one for mental health issues. So if you're going, if you're having a mental health crisis, whether it's um, suicide ideation depression, maybe um, you have a mental health, not mental health, a, a mental disability, if you're having a crisis, um, you call 988 and they will connect you to a crisis counselor who can help walk you through whatever you're going through and de-escalate the situation. And depending on the, the things that they have established in your city, if it can't be de-escalated over the phone, they'll send a mobile health crisis team to the home. And if it can't be resolved there, then that team will take you to a crisis center versus the hospital where you're going to be sitting around for hours and hours for a um, psychiatrist or a counselor to come speak to you. So the 988 is not just about the telecom perspective, but it's a, it's a whole wraparound um, system to help people with mental health issues or disabilities to get the help they need from the people that are trained to do that versus police officers. Some police officers are trained to, to do what a social worker does, but at the same time, if I'm feeling like I want to kill myself, I don't want to see a police officer walk through my door. You know, mm -hmm. I want somebody who is in plain clothes, not a plain clothes police officer, um, to come and talk to me and, you know, relate to me versus, you know, this police officer. Um, there was one story I heard this um, teen, he was like about 19, 20 years old, schizophrenic, he was having a, um, an episode. The police came to get him and they were taken into the hospital. And they were just asking him questions, having a normal conversation with him. And then he admitted that he had threatened his mom physical harm. And they're like, oh, well, that's just everything. Took him down to the station, booked him, 
when they were supposed to take them to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So now you have this this man who has a, a, a police record now because he had a mental health crisis when he should have been taken to the hospital, not the police station. So mm-hmm. that's what 988 does. Wow, that that's that story is just so bothersome on so many levels. <laughs> like yeah. you can you can only imagine how many people are walking around with criminal records when they should have actually been taken mm-hmm. to a mental health facility. And it's a lot of people like that that have that experience. And it's the fact that you know what I like about it is that it streamlines you know whatever the crisis that you're going through because you know we can't determine what's a crisis or not, but at least you have someone there who has training to help you to get through that particular crisis and to give you the supports and the resources that you need instead of waiting on the police. And unfortunately here in New Orleans, our police department is, you know, on a thin line because, you know, there's not a lot of them out there. So, you know, you'll probably wait or call 911 and, you know, wait for somebody to call you back or wait for the police to come but then you have this mobile crisis unit that you can call from 988 and they can you know come and assess and try to see how they can help you and I'm, I think that um, 988 is supposed to um, start in July of this year if I'm not mistaken July 16th and there's a lot of cities who have already established these mobile health, um, these mobile crisis teams, as well as the centers and the wraparound care that they need. Even after they leave the center, they have that follow-up care that they need. You know, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to treat somebody while they're in your facility. And then when they leave out, they have no type of follow-up or anything like that. So um, there's a lot of things. Arizona is kind of the model for all of it because they actually started this system um, about 10 years ago, you know, just slowly developing it. And now it's developed and it's running so good. So um, this is something that I'm excited to see, not just in our city, but in other cities as well. Man. Those of you all that are, are watching live and those of you all that are going to listen later as this is stream, make sure everybody in your life knows about this program. You could actually save someone's life that's going through a mental health crisis, calling this number, like they said, versus calling 911 and pretty much rolling the dice where you don't know exactly who's going to respond and what their scope of training is. Um, so th- that's an awesome program. Like, I'm, I'm so glad you told me about it so that we could bring it up on the podcast you know like everybody needs to know about this unfortunately uh <laughs> i think the with the one that signed it there was so much other stuff going on <laughs> it completely got swept under the rug but that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> and you know what like and this also because i can't remember that long 1-800 number for the um so, so this helps it still routes it. It kind of some cities have it where if you dial nine eight eight, it will route them to the hubs within their cities or their states. But if your city or state doesn't have that set up, it will route them first to the national hotline, and then they'll route you back. So, but it's it's still going to be a smooth process. But that's just <laughs> how it is. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. All right. And last but not least, um, something that I, I absolutely hate talking about, but I know it's something that we have to talk about. Um, teenagers and suicide rates um, that our country faces. Um, it's it's absolutely chilling when you look at the stats, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and especially when you see the news stories of elementary school kids um, that either committed suicide or attempted suicide. Um, so what are some some things that parents need to look for um, signs that your, their child may have suicidal tendencies or has already attempted it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in, it's something that you can kind of see is mostly with teenagers. They wear a lot of hoodies and it's 100 degrees outside and you have a hoodie on. Yeah. And so that can cause of, you know, some concern for that. Tell them to take it off, kind of, you know, view your child's body to see if there's any marks. Some, you know, kids are unfortunately cutters um, or they, you know, do things to kind of harm themselves. And so those are some things to look at. Not necessarily all people that, you know, cause harm to themselves want to commit suicide, but that's, you know, something that you should really look into. Um, Other than that, it might be them giving away things or, you know, saying their mm. final goodbyes. If you see something, you know, a little bit off or they're isolating more um, or e- even having conversations about death and, you know, wondering what would it be or would they go to heaven or hell? And just kind of look at or home down on some of those conversations that they might have. And some kids post things on social media. And, you know, I've come into contact where, you know, I've had parents to call to say another student uh, was seeing, you know, saying things on social media, on their group chat because their friend said something. And so, you know, having those good relationships with your kids' friends, so it can be an open conversation to say, hey, if Johnny says that something's going on with him, please, you know, take bring it to my attention so I can take care of it because that's a lot of pressure on you know, them as friends, too, to have something that you're keeping a secret of about your friend when you want to make sure that they continue to stay safe. So, you know, I say have those conversations with, you know, your kids and their their friends and ask. Sometimes we, we're scared to ask the question, do you want to hurt yourself? Do you want to kill yourself? Because you think that will automatically, you know, bring them up to a thought of saying, well, since you asked that, maybe I want to do it. That's not necessarily true. You want to ask, they'll tell you yes or no. Then you also ask if they have a plan. Because Mm -hmm. some kids have, or, you know, people in general, they might say, yeah, I just think about it, but I'm not going to do anything. And some people actually have a plan on what they want to do. Those are some red flags in some moments where you have to say, okay, let me get this out of, you know, take it not in my hands, but put it into the professional so I can get my son or daughter some help. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad, Christina, you mentioned um, kids. Well, kids hearing their peers talk about suicide because they'll take that one to themselves. Like, okay, what can I do mm-hmm. to help my friend not do this? And my daughter has come to me plenty of times saying that. And I say, hey, this is not your battle. Mm-hmm. You need to go tell an adult. Let the principal know so the principal can call the parents. Let them know what's going on. Um, or I remember her telling me a boy was verbalizing it in school. And I said, okay. She told me, I was like, well, the next day at school, ask him how he's doing. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't know him, just ask him how he's doing. Cause you, you never know what he tried to do, you know, when he went home. Mm-hmm. Um, statistic wise, there's about 
38 million suicide attempts a year. And that's a lot. And these are just attempts. Mm-hmm. When I was their age, when I was a teen, um, I was very suicidal. And my parents had no idea. I was still doing the sports. I was still keeping my grades up. Um, I was one of the, the teens who wanted to die. Like, I wasn't telling no one. I wasn't trying to give no type of sign so no one could help me. Like, I really wanted to do this. You know, fortunately, God had different plans and was like, nah, <laughs> you may try, but this ain't going nowhere. But um, I I didn't give off those signs until I was about in my young adult years when I finally asked for help. But there are some kids where you just don't know Mm -hmm. what's going on because they don't show any signs. And those are the ones that you really have to watch. So doing a mental health check with your child every week or at least once a month. How are you doing? You know, what's bothering you at school? How was your day? You know, I always ask my daughter, like, how you, how do you feel? You know, how was your day at school? But they don't say, always my rule of thumb is if they don't say good or great, they say, oh, it was okay. All right, well, let's talk about it. Why is it okay? You know, so just going deep like that or, um, like we said, an, a trusted adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a question from the audience says, if they respond with yes, um, I guess when you ask them, have you ever thought about it or have you been thinking about it, but don't want to go to a hospital, what do we do? Um, because I, I've had that situation where, you know, kids say, yes, you know, I, I do want to hurt myself. I do want to commit suicide, but I don't want to go to the crazy house. I don't want to go to, you know, I don't want to be away from my family. I don't want to go to the hospital. We have to let them know that what they say is serious. And what they say mm-hmm. is a cry for help and a cry for some support, but they don't know how to, you know, say it any other way. And so letting them know you might, you know, we are going to get you an evaluation, even though it might be at a hospital, but they might not necessarily keep you in there. And if they do, it can be for so long and your family will be there to help support you. And so, you know, making it seem like it's not, and you know something that they have to be scared of but the fact that you want to make sure that they get the proper support and help that they need um, another suggestion would be a hospitalization might not be warranted but maybe you can get a crisis unit on the phone um, and they can have a conversation with your your child just about what's going on and you do have to get your parents consent to do that um, so that can be another route and then also it can be a situation of reaching out and finding a therapist or, you know, a social worker that specializes in kids and dealing with traumatic experiences or dealing with suicide so they can best support them as well. Man, oh man. Like I, it's, it's just one of those things. It's hard to even talk about, you know, but you, like I said, you know that you have to, yeah. um, you know, we growing up, we had friends that experienced this. Uh, some of us experienced this. It, it doesn't stop. Every generation deals with it. We just have to find better ways of opening the lines of communication and finding the right tools to help them navigate through it. Um, you know, I, I can't thank you all enough for, you know, the tools and the resources and the advice that you've given. Um, on this episode, I urge everybody that's watching, everybody that's listening, streaming it. You know, if you have any questions, if you're struggling, 
don't know where to start on Google, please reach out to both of these uh, ladies, whether it's on their website or through social media. I'm sure they can give you a bevy of resources and tools and a, a good starting point. Uh, but you have to do something. You know, the first time you see a sign, the first time your gut tells you something isn't right, like we owe it to our young people to do something because sometimes they have no clue what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they just need you to give them a starting point. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to give uh, both of you an opportunity to let people know where they can find you on social media and where they can find you on the internet. Okay, well, you can find me on Instagram, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, if you're in the Baton Rouge area, I'm doing a speaking event with uh, the, uh, my Soros, uh, Delta Sigma Theta, uh, we have an event coming up on Saturday. So um, that's also posted on my social media as well. If you want to come out and enjoy that health fair. Okay. And then with me, you can reach me um, on Facebook at Danny Parks. I'm on IG and I'm on IG at I am underscore Danny Parks. I'm on LinkedIn at Danny Parks. You can go to my website at IamDannyParks.com. Um, if you're having any type of issues, mental health issues, I'm, a, I'm here to lend you my ear and listen and help you in any way that I can. Yes. And please don't be afraid to ask any kind of questions on, you know, Instagram or uh, Facebook. You can send me a message. If you say, hey, I'm just trying to find a, a therapist in my area within the country, I've done it before. I've helped people, you know, just try to navigate through that process. So I don't have a problem doing it with anyone who, you know, wants to to get that help, whether it's for themselves or for their family members. Right. And one more thing, parents, if your child tells you they're suicidal, don't freak out. OK. Yes. <laughs> and just listen to them talk and then you can then you can see what type of help that they need, but definitely don't freak out. Don't yell, don't scream. Why are you doing this? Just let them talk and tell you what's going on. Listen, that's the most important thing. We want our kids to listen to us. We have to make sure we listen to them as well. No doubt. I love it. I love it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the part of the show where I'll leave you with this week's Mind Shift moment. Uh, this clip that we have for this week's Mind Shift moment comes from none other than Mr. Steve Harvey. And here it is. A flea can jump 36 inch vertical. If you capture the flea and you put him in a mayonnaise jar and you put the lid on it, the flea know one thing. I got a 36 inch vertical. So here he go. He start jumping, but he gonna hit himself on that lid. But after a while, after getting knocked down so many times, the flea makes an adjustment. So now the flea only jumps just to where he don't get knocked back down. He got 36 vertical, but since this lid is on, his environment got him now jumping nowhere near what he can. Them fleas have babies. Them babies is born into the conditions of the environment. Guess what? The flea is born with a 36 inch vertical, but because he see his mama and daddy jumping just barely to the roof, you know what he do? He duplicates that behavior. The flea never reaches his potential. Until you take the top off of your mayonnaise jar, you gonna duplicate your surroundings. Man, oh man. Yep. Adverse childhood right. experiences.
trying to tell you like you know you are so much bigger than the people around you whether it's the people in your house the people in your school the people in your neighborhood like we were i can't say it enough we were all designed to win in life there was not one person on this earth that was put here to lose you know sometimes we have a, a really crappy deck of cards that we were dealt but it's up to us to find a way to play that hand as if that's the one that we asked for you know, we all have gifts, we all have talents, we all have skills, we're all capable of contributing something absolutely great to this world in some capacity. A lot of us, unfortunately, don't have the people around us telling us that we're great. We were never told that we were great growing up. So we don't even realize the gifts that we have inside of us. But I promise you, there is somebody in this world right now, what they're waiting on is the gift that you're sitting on. So like he said in that video, take take the lid off, take the, off of your own jar and let yourself be free so you can see exactly what it is that you have to give to this world. And that is this week's Mind Shift moment. Once again, I'm your host, Shannon Smith. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the underscore CEO underscore within. Uh, you can find my business consulting firm online at www.theceowithinyou.com. And of course, you can find me here Thursdays on the Successes Within Reach podcast, where we remind you that you were not designed to be good. You were designed to be great. And with that, I say be safe out there and I will see you next week.